So what we're going to talk about is sourcing medicines for missions. I'm Barry Avey. I'm the CEO of Blessings International. Uh, and so that is the only disclosure that I have uh, for a financial relationship uh, that I'm the CEO there. Uh, I will not be talking about um, anything to do with any off-label use or investigational use of products. Learning objectives for today. So the, the conclusion of today um, should be able to define counterfeit medicine, talk about what it is. Uh, also define substandard medication, identify financial uh, and other um, costs thereof. Describe the risk and benefits of obtaining medicines uh, in country, uh, in the United States, and then transporting it into countries. Also the um, uh, risk and benefits of obtaining medication in developing nations. Uh, we'll also talk about identifying sources of safe medications for missions and then identify how to apply those strategies. All right, so it's a little bit late in the day already. I know you guys, your mind's been working, so we're going to do a little mental calisthenics here before we get started. One of the best ways, I think, to do that is talk about Yogi Berra. How many of you all know Yogi? <laughs> yeah? Okay. He's got so, so much wisdom. Uh, I wanted to be sure and share that with you. So first, uh, baseball, 90% mental, the other half is physical. All right. <laughs> You quickly did the math on that, right? You realize that doesn't add up. I always thought that record would stand until it's broken. Okay? If you come to a fork in the road, take it. Now, that's wisdom. For many of you that are working in these developing nations, it ain't the heat, it's the humility. And then lastly, this is one everyone really needs to, to take heart to. If you don't know where you're going, you might wind up someplace else. Okay. Another quote I like is from uh, Donald Rumsfeld. If you are familiar with Donald, he was the um, uh, defense secretary under George W. Bush. And so he said, there are known knowns. So these are things that we know we know. There are un there are known unknowns, that is to say there are things that we know we don't know, and then there are unknown unknowns, so that is to say there are things that we don't know we don't know. <laughs> Likely we'll hit on all of those as we go through the next hour. All right, so we're going to start off with a little case study. So this case study uh, happened back in September of 2006. There was a Panamanian physician uh, who reported an unusual number of patients with um, unexplained acute renal failure. So this was either acute renal failure or it was exacerbated renal failure that the patients already had. The patients uh, frequently also presented with severe neurological dysfunctions. Uh, other symptoms included things like nausea, vomiting, epigastric discomfort, followed by oliguria or anuria, anorexia and fatigue. Of those patients that initially presented, 12 out of 21 died despite having dialysis. Okay, so as you all look at this and you see kind of the things here, don't yell it out if you know who it is. Anybody have an idea of what this may be? Nobody? Good. All right, we'll get to talk about some stuff then. All right, so as, uh, let's talk about counterfeit medicines. Okay, I'm an attorney as well as a pharmacist, so every attorney needs to have at least one definition from Black's Law Dictionary in their talk, so that's why I included this. Um, so a, a counterfeit medicine according, or a counterfeit according to Black's Law Dictionary is... Uh, to forge, to copy or imitate, without authority or right, and with the right to deceive or defraud by passing the copy or thing forged to, the, to that which is original or genuine. So if we take drugs or medicine and we plug it into that definition, according to Black's Law Dictionary, a counterfeit drug would be used uh, to describe a drug made by someone other than the genuine manufacturer by copying or imitating an original product with or without authority or right, with a view to de deceive or defraud, and then marketing the copied or forged drug as the original. In reality, though, when we look at all the different nations that have their own um, rules and regulations, that law or, or definition doesn't fit very well into what a counterfeit drug is. So let me just share with you a few of them. Uh, Nigeria. So this is um, the Nigerian counterfeit and fake drugs and unwholesome processed foods um, decree. It says a fake drug is any drug product which is not what it purports to be, or any drug or drug product which is so colored, coated, powdered, or polished that damage is concealed or which is made to appear to be better or of greater therapeutic value than it really is, which is not labeled in the prescribed manner or which label or container. It goes on. There's about five or six more ors 
very, very broad as to what the Nigerian um, uh, counterfeit drug um, definition is. Pakistan, a drug, the label or outer packing of which is an imitation of, resembles or so resembles as to be calculated to deceive the label or outer packing of a drug manufacturer. Okay, so you already see Nigeria is focused on what the medicine is and what the outside coating of the medicine is, so whether it deceives or not. Pakistan, on the other hand, is looking at the container. And so if the container is meant to fraud or deceive, then it's a, a counterfeit medicine. So two, two very different uh, things that are being looked at there. The Philippines. Uh, counterfeit drug is medicinal product with correct ingredients, but not the amounts as provided thereunder, wrong ingredients, without active ingredients, with insufficient quantity of active ingredients, which results in the reduction of the drug's safety, efficacy, quality, strength, or purity. It is a drug which is deliberately and fraudulently misabled. Again, it goes on to probably about three more paragraphs. So, again, a lot of difference. So let's look at um, the FDA. So the FDA's definition of a drug is what's up here. And it is uh, the FDA was crafted by a lawyer for sure because it includes every single possible variation that there could be, whether it's a drug manufacturer, processor, packer, distributor, um, a lot to it. So the U.S., when they're looking at counterfeit drugs, they are looking at a very broad range, much bigger than what we looked at when we were looking at Pakistan. The World Health Organization has its own definition as well. And so this is the World Health Organization. I think this really gets more at the heart of what we're looking at when we're talking about um, counterfeit drugs because really what the World Health Organization is looking at with someone who intends to promote a medicine, whether it's brand or generic, when it's really not that. And so that's what um, the World Health Organization looks at. So you may say, okay, Barry, you've given us a lot of definitions, looked at a lot of different countries in just a few minutes. What's the fuss? Well, the fuss is that if we're going to be working in these um, developing nations and we're worried about the, the purity or the quality of the medicines, how do we know whether or not they are of good purity and of good quality if we've got all these different definitions out there? So let's talk about um, some of the prevalence because this is really what the problem is, is if there's a lot of different definitions and we're going into, we're going to go work in Nigeria and they say, well, we don't have, or, or we do have a big uh, counterfeiting pro uh, problem in our country, but then Pakistan says, there's, there's so little counterfeiting here, we've got the best drugs ever. Well, it's because you're only worried about the outside of the package. You're not worried about what's inside the package. 1% of medicines in developed nations are likely to be counterfeit. Okay, so that's U.S., Canada, um, Great Britain. Not very big. I mean, that, that's really not a big problem here in the U.S. On the other hand, 10% of medicines globally are likely to be counterfeit. So when you add the, the, the developed nations to the developing nations and you look at it across the board, it's um, 10%. The problem is the developing nations. 53% of medicines in developing nations are likely to be counterfeit. That's a very large amount. And that's where most of us that are doing uh, work in, in medical missions, that's where we're doing our work is in the developing nations. We're not doing much here in the U.S. Now, there may be some outreaches in the inner city or something, but most of the work's being done in these developing nations. Um, in Thailand and Nigeria, 36.5% of antibiotics and antimalarials on the World Health Organization essential drug list in 1999 or 1997 were considered counterfeit. That is a huge amount. In Latin America and Asian countries, 30% of the medicines were counterfeit. Uh, former Soviet Union, 20% were counterfeit. It's noted today that in Africa, um, Africa is ground zero for counterfeiting. So if you're doing work in Africa, you have to really be on the watch out for what it is that you're working with there. There's a huge financial cost to, um, to counterfeiting. You know, obviously, this is borne by the drug companies more than anybody. But approximately $40 billion in 2005 was um, the result of counterfeiting. So that's what was lost in, in the general market. It's estimated in 2010 that it went up to $75 billion. That is a lot of money. 15% of the legal pharmaceutical market worldwide was, um, was considered to be counterfeit as when you look at the dollar side of it. This next one, though, this is what astounded me when I saw this. So th these are the bad guys, okay? So this is, this is why they do it. If you want to you know, manufacture heroin and you spend $1,000, you're going to make 20000 back. Okay, that's not a bad return on your investment, right? If you're, if you're in financial world and you're looking at your ROI, 20 times, yeah, maybe worth it. When you go to counterfeit medicine, it's now for $1,000 spent, you're making 400000 
That's why people are doing it. That's why organized crime is very deeply involved in the counterfeit mission or in the counterfeit um, medicine world. It's because there's a huge return on investment. So if you spend $1,000, you're going to get 400000 in return. Um, I've got a few mind breaks in here, mainly for me, so thanks for bearing along. Um, so the doctor says, looks like the placebos helped your depression. Great, give me a double dose. Okay, well, that's great if it's, if it's this. You don't want a double dose of a placebo if you have malaria, though, right? Um, I don't know how many of you are, are older pharmacists. When I uh, practice in the retail world, I dispense placebo. It was written by the doctor to dispense placebo. It was called Obcalp, spelled backwards. We dispensed it. Um, again, in the developing nation, you don't want placebo. You want what's actually the active ingredient because we're dealing with a lot of different stuff there. The human cost of counterfeiting is huge as well. Uh, it's estimated that um, 20% of annual deaths uh, from malaria worldwide are the result of counterfeiting. So these are people in these developing nations that are getting counterfeit medicine so it's not fighting the disease that they have. Uh, 40% of the articinate uh, contained no active ingredient in a study that was conducted. Um, it's estimated that 200,000 children die each year uh, from taking counterfeit antimalarials. When you add that counterfeit antimalarials to the TB, the rate goes up to 700,000 people dying each year solely as a result of counterfeit medicine. In 2007, Dr. Nick White, who is with um, Oxford University, said, counterfeit medicine is a major reason why malaria has become, over the last 30 years, Africa's biggest child killer. From an illness that used to be easily treated with medicines, there is now just one family of drugs left that malaria has not built up a resistant to, the artemisinins. And now they're being faked. Resistance to these drugs would be an absolute catastrophe for our current attempts to control malaria. So this was back in 2007. He was already looking ahead at what's happening with this market in, uh, in Africa. In uh, Niger, there was a uh, meningitis epidemic back in 1995. 50,000 people were inoculated with fake vaccine. Or 50,000 people died as a result of, of being inoculated with fake vaccine. What's interesting about this case, though, is Niger had the medicine given to them by another country. That country thought the medicine was good stuff, and the government of one country gave it to another to help. But it was fake, and so 50,000 people died as a result of it. The numbers go on and on. In 2005, um, UK's Daily Telegraph reported that estimated 100,000 people die in China each year just as a result of counterfeit medicine. All right, let's go back to our case study. So we were talking about, uh, when we left off, 12 out of 21 patients died despite dialysis and supportive treatment. So when they, they, when they started the full case, they enrolled 42 patients uh, who were case patients, 140 were control. Um, the median age of the patients were 68 years, ranging from 25 to 91, 64% male. To be enrolled in the study, you had to have a serum creatinine of greater than uh, 2 milligrams per deciliter or acute worsening of a pre-existing chronic renal failure. So as they looked and they investigated, they realized, the investigators, that there was a possible correlation with lisinopril because lisinopril had just been introduced into this hospital as a new drug about the same time that these symptoms came on. Well, they sent the, the lisinopril off to the CDC, had it tested, it was fine, no problem with lisinopril. But then they recognized another correlation with a cough surface. So, you know, when you take an ACE inhibitor, there's a good chance that you may develop a cough. That's what happened to these patients. So then they needed the cough syrup. Well, when they got the cough syrup, um, as a result of the ACE inhibitor, unfortunately, it had diethylene glycol in it. Well, diethylene glycol is antifreeze, for those of you who don't know. Well, it came from China, and it was labeled in a bottle that was glycerin. So they were using it as the base for the cough syrup that was being manufactured. Um, in the end, uh, it's estimated that about 60,000 bottles of this were recalled. And so the investigators, and, and somewhere, there's a couple different um, reports, but somewhere between 100 and 250 people died as a result of this. Those numbers, I think, are probably low because this was just in this local area. They, there's really no way that, these, that they found out how far the reach was. Um, but they know that at least in, in, uh, in that Panamanian issue that uh, between 150 and 200 died. Similar thing happened back in the mid-'90s in Haiti, uh, and in that case, uh, about 100 children died because they were uh, they took a, a pain, it was acetaminophen, paracetamol um, syrup that was also um, had the base of it, it was with diethylene glycol. So you see, this is, this is a recurring thing that happens. It's not new to, um, to one area or one event, uh, unfortunately. 
So some of the reasons for counterfeiting earlier, we talked about um, the huge economic advantage that there is to counterfeiting. Um, but some of the other reasons, lack of appropriate medicine legislation. You know, so these, uh, same thing with uh, absence of or a weak uh, national medicines regulatory. And if you think about the FDA, it's a very, very strong regulatory group. These developing nations don't have that same strength in the regulatory process, and so because they don't have that, medicines flow through easily and without being checked to the extent that we would like them to be. Uh, shortage uh, or erratic supply of medicines, price differentials, both those, you, know, you think in the U.S. market, if we have a med that's not available, then we go to what's that called, the gray market. We can go buy it, and it's a lot more, but at least we have access to it. Same thing happened to these developing nations. If you don't have access to a med, well, somehow they need to find it. So they're going to the black market there, and they're buying the medicine. Well, somebody realizes I can make 400 times the return on my investment, so I'm going to slip into this chain of, of uh, process here of medicine that's not good, and, um, and that's what happens. Trade through several intermediaries. Uh, again, that's one of those where you have a lot of different people trading along the line, so you can slip in a medicine a little more easily than here in the U.S. where we may just have one or two wholesalers along the way. And then inappropriate use of medicines as well uh, can certainly be a problem. All right, so this is uh, a picture. And, and, you know, we wonder, well, how do, how do counterfeit medicines make it? You know, or, or how, are they, how do patients get access to them? Well, this is one way. You know, this is in Burma. How, would you, how comfortable would, would any of you be to walk in and that's how you get your medicine? Let's see, we have um, chloroquines on there, paracetamol, uh, a couple of others. But look closely at the tablets. If, if, it's a little harder to see on this screen because it's not big. Every tablet's the same. So what are they getting? We don't know. They don't know. But that's one of the reasons why so many children and other people are dying of counterfeit meds because that could every one of those could be a sugar pill. We have no clue. So if, if, if you're on um, a medical missions team, please don't go buy from these people. <laughs> All right. All right, let's play Guess the Fake. I like this game. Um, all right, so we've got two medicines. How many people say the one on the right for you all is real? Do you? How many people say the one on the left is real? Okay. I'm sorry for those of you on the left. The one on the right is real. Hard to tell, isn't it? Side by side. Um, the folks who did the, uh, the fake on the left, they did a good job. Great imprint, great coloring. Everything looks good on it. All right, let's look at another one. Oh, my gosh, that's hard to see, isn't it? That's a little easier from your view. Okay, so how many of you say the one on the right is real? Do you? How about the one on the left? Again, I'm sorry for you on the left. <laughs> Those are hard, I mean, and I'm sorry because it doesn't show up as well on the TV as I'd like it to, but again, the, the imprints are good, the color's good, everything looks good on it. How about this? How many people say the one on the top is real? The one on the bottom? Okay, about 50-50, the one on the top. I mean, almost, and the one on the bottom, you know, it doesn't have the, the yellow line on the side, the coloring's a little different in the bars. It kind of looks, though, like it's just been beat up in transit, doesn't it? Again, very hard to tell the difference. All right, got one more for you. How many people say the one on the right? Nobody. How many, or are you all just tired of playing? <laughs> I like this game. All right. So how many on the right? How many people say the one on the right? Okay, nobody. One. How many on the left? Okay, the one on the left is right this time. So, so what was the tip? What's the tip to the one on the left? The hologram? Okay. I can tell you, I went to a meeting a year ago, April, in, uh, in London, and a lot of it was a talk about this kind of holographs. They haven't even been put into existence in most developed nations yet, and they're already being counterfeited. It's absolutely amazing. But the one on the left is real. Right, I said I had one more, but let's do this one. Again, it's, I'm sorry, it's hard to see. So is that real or fake? See, in the last, you know, last four we looked at, you had the benefit of looking at the real versus the fake, and you still had a hard time, right? Now you're out in, I don't know, you're in Nigeria, and you're at the pharmacy, 
and you see this, do you buy it? Do you leave it? It's tough because we don't have, we don't have the ability, we don't have the little machines that are there to tell us what the, what's in it and what the percentage is, right? So it's a very tough process. Um, but that's, that's what we have to deal with when we're, when we're buying in that area. All right, let's talk for a little bit about substandard medicine. So substandard, um, the World Health Organization defines substandard as genuine medicines produced by manufacturers which do not meet quality specifications set by them by the national standards. Um, substandard medicines are pharmaceutical uh, products that do not meet the quality standard and specifications. So normally when, when medicines are manufactured, there's a set standard that's been approved through a new drug application or an abbreviated new drug ac- ac- application by the FDA. And so we know what's supposed to be in it and what the process is supposed to be for each one. What happens with substandard drugs is that that process is likely not followed in some manner. Um, typically things like batch runs, um, there's just not enough active ingredient put in it. Uh, it's not mixed for long enough. It's not pressed hard enough. Something happens along the way that, that makes it considered to be substandard. Substandard medicines are, are a big problem as well. Um, in 2008, there was a study of six countries in sub-Saharan Africa uh, that was done where they were looking specifically at anti-malarials. And as they looked at that in the six countries, overall there was a 28.5% failure rate of those medicines. So a little over, a little over a fourth of the medicines didn't pass. 11.6% of those failures, so out of the 28.5, 11.6 were considered to be extreme. So the researchers, when they looked at that, said, those are so bad, they're probably counterfeit. Because, again, these are, are, are developing nations where there's a lot of counterfeit meds. But that left 16.9% to be looked at to say, okay, are these good or are they bad or, or, or what's the problem with them? Um, they drilled down to specific nations, and in Ghana and Cameroon, the failure rates were 39.5% and 36.6% respectively. Looking in Nigeria, the failure rate was 63.9%. Okay, so these are anti-malarials, 63.9% failure rate. So you've got about, what, a 30% chance of getting the right med. How many of you all want to take that chance? Really? Nobody? Okay. You know, the same thing in uh, Ghana and Cameroon. You've got about a 60% chance of getting the right med there. That's not good odds, I don't think. But that's that's what the folks in these regions are dealing with. When looking at prevalence overall, um, 8.5% of the Thailand market overall has substandard meds. 16% of the meds in Myanmar failed quality test. When they looked specifically, um, 26% of rifampicin, 24% of cotrimoxazole or, or um, Bactrim. Um, so, you know, so a fourth are not passing the test. So they're substandard. Dr. Vladimir Lapkin, he was a former head of health technologies at World Health Organization, he said the problem is one of resources. Most of the countries with the lowest quality pharmaceuticals are also the ones with the highest disease burdens and the poorest economies. And I think he's exactly right. When you look at it, you don't see these quantities of substandard meds in the higher developed economic countries like the U.S. You see them in the poor countries where their own governments and their, their medicines regulators aren't able to, um, to follow through and keep up with the problems that they're having. And that's what, you know, we don't see this in the U.S., do we? That's the, um, it says FDA, who, what, and he's mixing it in a bathtub, okay? So we don't see these kind of things in the U.S., again, because the FDA is strong. So while many of us may get very frustrated with the FDA at times, they do protect our medicine supplies. All right, so some of the types of failures that, that are seen typically with substandard meds, uh, one is lower content of active pharmaceutical ingredient and higher content of the other uh, ingredients that are in it to make up the tablet. Failure to meet dissolution rates, that's important because, you know, if it's supposed to dissolve in the stomach, it needs to dissolve in the stomach. It's supposed to dissolve in the intestines or lower intestines, that's where it needs to. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's just not doing what it's supposed to. Failures in, in mass uniformity tests. Uh, again, when looking at these issues, it appears that the manufacturers, what they're really not doing is just following good manufacturing practices. You know, you've, you've got your standard operating procedures on how you're supposed to mix the batch, how you're supposed to run it through um, the, the tablet machine and the press and all those things, and apparently that's just not working in these developed nations. Um, also, again, the, the regulatory process in these developed nations uh, where this is happening um, isn't, isn't working well. 
here's a couple of examples of, of some failures. Primaquin tablets contained a range of 19 to 168% of the active ingredient. Very broad range. Uh, actually, in Venezuela, uh, one patient died who had plasmodium, vivax, malaria. The, the primaquin he took had 46% in it. So, again, that's a, a good example. These folks meant to make the right things. It wasn't counterfeit. They meant to do it the right way. Their processes were just so bad that they had that big of a difference. Genomycin-resistant pseudomonas uh, in genomycin eye drops. Can you think of much worse in the genomycin eye drop than genomycin-resistant pseudomonas? Yeah. Uh, methylprednisolone injection led to fungal meningitis. In that case, 64 deaths, 687 infections. You guys might be very familiar with this one. Yeah? New England Compounding Center. Yeah. So it happens here. We're not immune from it. it you know, you have to follow the processes um, to do things the right way. They never intended. It was, you know, the New England Compounding Center didn't, um, they weren't trying to make counterfeit medicines. They just didn't follow a good process. And I've, I've seen some of the pictures from inside that place, and it is just, it's crazy. Bird droppings inside and, um, you know, the HEPA filters that were covered out with uh, plywood because they didn't want to spend the money on, you know, doing HEPA filtering properly. So, again, they just didn't follow good processes. If they would have, the medicine would have been good and, and there wouldn't have been all these issues. Huge impact on... Um, on these patients, increased mortality and morbidity, um, engendering of, of drug resistance and loss of medicine efficacy. You can imagine you get 75% of the um, chloroquine that you're supposed to get, and then you, you have malaria. You know, you're probably not going to get over it, and now you're setting up a resistance to it. You know, that's what we see uh, with these kind of things. So in some ways, um, substandard could be worse than counterfeit. You know, because you're setting up a resistance to what really works. Uh, loss of confidence in health systems and health workers. You know, if, if you're a patient, you're going in and you keep getting medicine and you don't get well, then you don't trust the system anymore. So then you don't want to be involved in the system anymore and you lose that confidence. Again, huge economic loss uh, across the board. Adverse effects from uh, incorrect active ingredients and then uh, burden for health workers and regulators. You know, as people keep coming back in these areas because they're not getting better, they do keep seeing uh, the, the people who are treating them, and, and so they have an increased burden. All right, the next slide, I'll just warn you all. I went to several talks, and I saw a similar slide, and I wondered, well, how do they do that? Why do they do that? It's because we can, okay? These are my kids. <laughs> all right, um, that's my boy Blake. And, and now let me just say, too, this talk, I've been talking about substandard and counterfeit. This has no, you know, please don't think this has anything to do with that. <laughs> Okay, so Blake is, is, you know, that's his personality exactly. That's why I picked this picture. He's wild. He loves to have fun. Um, Caroline, usually, that's my daughter, she usually has that look for him as well. Um, and she's starting to give it to me now as well um, as she gets a little older. All right, thank you all for indulging me with that. Okay, um, let's talk about some of the pros and cons of, of you know, taking medicine in or... or um, transporting it in. So pros of obtaining medicine in country. So now we're talking about you're going to a developing nation. What are the pros of getting it there? Well, one is there's no custom issues. So those of you who have traveled and you've taken medicine in, you know that there can be issues with customs, having to get through that, worried about it's in your suitcase. Are they going to take it from me? Are they going to charge me? What are they going to do? Um, so if you buy it in country, you don't have that issue. No extra baggage. You know, that can be, in a, depending on how many are going on the trip, you know, at 25 50 bucks a bag, that adds up pretty quickly, so you don't have that issue. It helps the local economy. I, as long as you're getting good stuff, I think that's important. If you're going to a nation, you're going to be doing some work there, why not help their economy somewhat? They're all suffering. Um, it helps them in their own way. If you do that, also, it builds relations with local pharmacies. This is really for people who are going back routinely. So if you're going to be going to the same place over and over, if you um, build relations with local pharmacies, you can you know, have a better idea that what you're getting is good stuff, you also um, have a better relationship with officials, which help you get medicines in that you need to bring in that you might not be able to buy locally. Some of the cons, though, of obtaining medicine in country are, you know, what we've been talking about, counterfeit and substandard meds. You don't know for sure if the stuff is good. Um, according to the World Health Organization, in 2001, it was estimated that there were 2,800 illegal vendors. 
Okay? So, uh, and that's in Cambodia alone. A thousand unregistered medicines. In uh, the Lao People's uh, Democratic Republic, 2,100 illegal drug, excuse me, drug vendors. So if you're buying in country, you've you got to be careful who you're buying from. Um, another con is not the right medicines. See, you know, those of you who have done the formulary for your trips, you know that you want to have the right medicines when you're going in because you want to treat what you're, what you're planning to treat. And if you're going to buy in country, well, then it may not be available, so you may have to, to make other arrangements. Not enough of what's needed, so the same type issues. You're, you're eating 2,000 lisinopril, and you get there, and they've got a bottle of 100. Well, you're not going to be able to do the same type of work you were planning on. Time spent sourcing medicines. Uh, you know, if you're going to have to go to multiple, multiple spots, that could definitely be a detriment. If you have the medicine with you and you're going to hit the ground running when you land, you know, you're ready to go. The rest of the team's waiting on you. If you're the person who's sourcing the drugs, the rest of the team's you know, sitting there, okay, we're ready to see patients. Well, I've got three more places to go. So it could be a little difficult. Uh, and interestingly, patients prefer medicines from the U.S. You know, they, they have a confidence in what we have and what's being brought from the U.S., um, and so that's a, that's a big benefit um, if you're going to be on a trip. All right, this is a, a picture of, you know, someone you probably would not want to buy from if you're outsourcing meds. Um, so this is really a street vendor in Haiti. How many, have any of you been to Haiti? Okay, have, you guys, have you all seen this kind of person? They're just driving down Highway 1, and, and they're in the, the big area. Um, that guy's there. No idea what he's selling, um, but people are buying it, or he wouldn't be selling it, right? So, you know, if we're sourcing drugs, please don't buy from him. This is another example of, uh, of where they're selling um, medicines in the street market. Um, you know, bags of stuff, red pills, white pills, nothing's labeled. You know, no clue what it is. I wouldn't recommend you buy from them either. You know, when I looked at this picture, though, I thought, why would people go buy that? You know, the, the people who live there, why would they do it? They don't know what they're getting. Um, Maybe they have a relationship with them. Why would they trust them, though? And then I got to thinking about when I, when I was in Haiti, and my, the pharmacy I set up looked very similar. <laughs> right? I had bags of red and white pills. I had them in bags. I didn't have them labeled, you know, with all the stuff you'd see on the label here. They trusted me. So why wouldn't they trust them? That's all they know. You know they don't know the difference of, of going to CVS or Walgreens and what you can get there. They know what the street market has. Um, so it was just interesting to, as I thought through that to think, wow, they trusted me and it's no big deal. They expected it to be good, so why wouldn't they expect it elsewhere? This is a pharmacy in Ghana. So this is a, um, you know, to me this looked much more uh, like what I would expect. The, the stuff's in packages. It's packaged. She looks like she has it set up well. You know, there's probably a very, you, you probably have a fairly high confidence level going into a place like that, certainly compared to the, to the street market. All right, so let's talk about some of the pros of transporting medicine into country. So now we're talking about taking it from the U.S., and we're going to transport it into whatever that developing nation is that we're going into. So um, one of the pros uh, for you all as the person who's providing medicine, uh, there's a confidence in the medicines, you know, the quality, the accuracy, there's certainly a confidence uh, when you're taking that in. Ability to verify the appropriate amount. So you know when you leave what you have. So you know if you've gotten your order, however you've sourced it, um, if you don't have enough, you're going to go get some more before you leave, right? So you know what, what you've got. There's an ability to prepack if desired. So, you know, I, I will warn you, though, prepacking can be dangerous for crossing customs. We talked about taking, you know, one of the cons. Stuff typically when it's prepacked isn't labeled real well. It looks like the street market. So that's what the customs officials see as well. Uh, the team can prepare for the formulary or, or medication list prior to the trip. You know, you're not having to go around and, and see what you can find so you know exactly what it is that you have. And then, again, uh, we talked about how the nationals there prefer U.S. meds over what they have locally. Some of the cons of transporting medication in, though, are that it can be taxed or confiscated. You know, that's certainly a risk. Um, we've talked about that a little bit. Medicines can be subject to unknown conditions. So, you know, you, you hand it off in the baggage, and it goes under the plane, and well, you really don't know what happens after that point, right? You just know that it's in the belly of the plane, or you hope it is. But I'd say the same is true if you buy it in country. You really don't know what's happened to it until it gets into your hands. So that kind of plays both ways. Uh, the amount of medicines are limited by the team size. So if, say, you have three people that are going in, and they're going to join a team of 20, 
You can only take in what the three people can take in. It may not be enough, so you have to be careful with that. And then the formulary has to be carefully selected because, again, you want to know um, what it is that you're taking in. All right, let's talk about sourcing medicines for missions for a few minutes. So there's several different ways we can do that. One is uh, a hospital or local pharmacy. Okay, so if you're going to go locally to get it, and now we're talking about back in the U.S., you're um, in Birmingham, and, and you're going to go locally and, and talk to the hospital or local pharmacy, you know you get a quality product because it's, it's been uh, through the FDA process and it's, it's uh, in our stream of commerce. You know that there's a known quantity, so you know exactly how much you're getting. The cost could be a concern. You know, depending on what your relationships are, where they're buying it from, are they going to sell it to you at their cost? Are they still going to have a markup? You know, it, 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 cost can certainly be a concern. And then there's also a question of what's your ability to purchase. Um, if, if you're not able to purchase or that pharmacy or, or um, hospital pharmacy isn't willing to sell because of licensure issues, you know, there can be certainly concerns with that because as a, pharma, as a um, pharmacy, if you sell too much, you are then considered a wholesale if it's greater than like 5%. So if you're doing a lot of work with these teams trying to do good, you can enter into the, the wholesale arena rather than now being a, a retailer or a hospital. So, you, you know, those folks may say, well, I, don't, I can't sell it to you this time. I've kind of, you know, hit my limit. Um, so that, that's one of the issues. Uh, manufacturer sales representative, um, certainly it's cost effective. If they're donating it, it's always cost effective. Okay, anybody not like free? No? Okay. Um, Quality product, again, if you're getting it from a manufacturer or someone like that, you know you're getting quality product. Uh, quantity certainly can vary. Um, the ability for future teams to duplicate um, could be difficult. And so this is really with samples. So let me just let me step onto my soapbox here. Um, samples. Please don't take samples um, into these developing nations. And here's why. You know, it's the latest and greatest here in the U.S. And so, you know, if you're getting the samples, you've been tried on three or four different things. But folks who are going into these developing nations and now they're getting a sample, they get it and they get it for 30 days and now it's gone. They're really in worse shape than if they just never would have gotten anything. So take the stuff that can be duplicated. Take the old tried and true generics, furosemide, lisinopril, you know, um, hydrochlorothiazide. Take that stuff. That's what helps them. Uh, they don't need the, the, the single tablet that's got three things in it so we don't forget to take it. So, all right, off the soapbox. Um, may take a lot of time to contact multiple sources. So if you're going to work on getting donations, you, know, you may have to talk to um, five or six different companies, uh, and that can take time. Waiting for a call back, hey, we're leaving in three weeks. Uh, well, we haven't passed it all the way up. So, you know, there's time involved in, uh, in, in contacting multi multiple folks. Same sort of thing with just various donations. You know, you've got a lot of church members, and they want to be good, and they want to give you what they've got, what they haven't used. Um, obviously, you get pill bottles from several people. There could be a concern with that. I probably wouldn't recommend doing that. It is cost-effective. It's free, but um, you know there's risk with it. Uh, quality may vary depending on the source. You know, Grandma Jones has had that bottle in her medicine cabinet for four years. She didn't quite know what to do with it. You're going on a mission trip. Surely they got to use it, right? Somebody's got a need. So, you know, watch for the quality there. Quantity can also vary. Again, I think anytime you get something for free, it can be difficult uh, to know what your quantity is. And then, again, take a lot of time if you're contacting multiple sources. Um, time is an issue. Uh, mission wholesalers, you know, there's about, oh, five, six, seven different groups that do this here in the U.S. Um, quality product, you know, they've vetted the, the products that they're selling, whether it's been a donation to them, it's been a purchase, whatever the source is. So um, quality product, known quantity, you know, you order five bottles of 1,000, you get five bottles of 1,000, you know what you're leaving with, so you know how, how to prepare for your trip. Cost-effective. Certainly not cost, as cost-effective as free, but it's more cost-effective likely than a local um, pharmacy or a hospital pharmacy. Uh, future teams more easily can, can duplicate those generics, uh, which is certainly uh, the issue that we want to be able to see is that if you're treating someone, we want that to process along. We want people to continue to be able to get that care and treatment that they've been getting. All right. Um, Again, purchase in country, we talked about that. No customs issues, uh, no baggage, quality may be of a concern, uh, may take time to source. All right, let's talk for a couple of minutes about, um, I might have a few minutes left over for, to ask you know, for questions. Um, 
some things I wanted to share, though. I think, you know, as you're going and you're looking at your trip, these are some important things. One, obtain paperwork to show authorities, um, medicine names, lot numbers, expiration dates. Because we talked about if you're taking medicine into country, you want to do everything you can to prevent the issues of customs and customs um, confiscating what you've gotten. So this is one of those ways to have good paperwork. Know what your country requirements are. We were dealing uh, just the other day with a group from Nicaragua. They wanted pictures of the labels. So they wanted to know exactly what the medicine was that was in each of the labels that was coming in. So make sure you know what your country requirements are when you're going in. Keep it in original or sealed containers. Yeah, it may not be as convenient to transport it that way. Maybe more convenient to have your packing party. Everybody gets involved. You get the you know the local church group to pack it for you. But you know if you're going in with these unlabeled baggies, it could be just as easy you know um, hydrocodone to the customs agent as it could be hydrochlorothiazide. So you got to be very careful with that. Uh, obtain paperwork to show the medicine will be given as a gift. You know, most people that are going on short-term trips, their full intent is to bless the people that they're going to see. So you're going to give the medicine to them. You're not going to take it in and charge for the medicine that you're taking in. So show it. Show the people, the, the customs folks or whoever asks, this medicine is a gift. Um, that's what we intend to do is give it to the people that are here. Because one of their concerns is going to be, are you bringing it in to sell it? Are you bringing it in to make a profit and to, to affect our economy as a nation? Um, no, we're, we're taking it in to give it away. Take in-date medicines. Again, uh, you know, a lot of out-of-date medicines. Uh, if any of you have seen things like the um, medical letter from back in the mid-90s or early 2000, great article that talks about how long medicine is still good after its expiration date, somewhere around 8 to 10 years. It really loses essentially no efficacy. But the problem is customs agents don't care. They want to see that it's in date. So make sure you take in-date medicine. I don't know of any nation right now that allows out-of-date medicine to come in. Every single nation, Haiti included, which is probably the most liberal to go into, it has to be in date when it enters the country. Some countries are even as far out as 18 months. I think Ethiopia. You have to have 18 months dating to take it into the country. So, again, know the requirements of the country that you're going into. Always refer to the stock as medicines, not drugs. Now, I think I've said drugs a couple of times. That's what we say, right, here in the U.S., here in the Western world. You say drugs as you're going into Panama, they think drugs, okay? Say medicines. Medicines help people. Drugs are used for bad. So make sure, you know, and that's a very easy thing to say. They're opening your suitcase. You got anything in there? Yeah, I've got some medicine. Oh, okay. I've got drugs. Woo, okay. So <laughs> big difference. Um, leave the excess with somebody responsible in country. You know, don't, don't try to, if you've got medicines that are intended for export, meaning exported from the U.S., don't bring them back in. That protects you um, because, you know, okay, so you've got a bunch of extra left over. You know you're going again in six months. So I'm going to bring it back so I don't have to buy it again to go. Well, you know, you're bringing in medicine that can't be used in the U.S. You don't have the proper permit to import that because that's technically what you're doing is you're importing meds at that point. It's not for personal use, right, because it's in such a quantity that the, Customs would say, that is, there's no way that's for personal use. So just leave it there. You know, even if it's you know, $100, $200, bless those people. Or if you're going to go back, leave it with someone responsible so when you go back, it's still there. Take an inventory. List what you've got. And then go back um, with, with that adjusted inventory uh, as you go. All right, a couple of things on uh, some additional literature if you're interested in. Um, World Health Organization. Uh, if you go to that website, they have some more information about uh, counterfeit and substandard drugs. Same thing with U.S. Food and Drug Administration, um, counterfeit medicine, and then uh, Partnership for Safe Medicines. They do a lot of work with counterfeit and substandard drugs. They're more from uh, the Partnership for Safe Medicines is really more from the pharma side. So, you know, they're, they're certainly against counterfeit and substandard because it's part of that $75 billion impact. Um, but still, they have some, some good information and some good resources. All right, so let, let me ask you this. I've got uh, about 15 minutes left. How many of you all have been on a mission trip where you've taken medicine in? Wow, a lot. Okay. Anybody want to share what your experiences have been? Because if you've had kind of a different experience and you'd like to share it with anyone, you know, I think we learn a lot from each other. I, I got to talk a little bit, and certainly it was fun. But, you know, if you all want to share with each other a little bit, yeah. Okay. Thank you. you know, I think one of the 
stuff, the counseling of patients. I have a bunch of pharmacy students here, and they can outdo a lot of your physicians in here on diabetes and other disease states in terms of patient counseling. That's just the way it is in very many But one thing I did, I've got one place the Lord's laid on my heart, and that's what I'm serving. Which technically short on groups, it's supporting a full-time couple. Our first of these four tour time over there, they actually have a drug manufacturing place in Santa Cruz. So they arranged the tour. And I put on my pharmacist hat, they followed good manufacturing practices, their packaging, a lot more by hand, but we have automation. Even a lot of their GMP records, that's good manufacturing practices, what we have to do in drug manufacturing. And, you know, I was very happy with what they did. You can buy a lot of stuff you need when you run out on the marketplace. I don't feel good about that. And I know about bottles being opened and recruited, but they will get stuff directly for me. And some stuff is too expensive for me to get on my budget. Here in the U.S., I can get there cheaper. So they get it ahead of time. I just tell them how much I want. Yeah. So hopefully everybody heard that. But he's saying if you're a pharmacist or if you're a team that's going, try to bring a pharmacist along because certainly it does help. You know, the pharmacists have the time to set up the processes. Maybe they've worked at a Walgreens so they know what an assembly line is. But, you know, they know the process. They know how to work through it. Counseling is also very beneficial to have that. And then I agree, certainly, if you have the ability to go look and look closely at the source you're buying from and you can gain that confidence, that speaks volumes. Because then you can reproduce that. If you've been, he was talking about going to the manufacturer there in Honduras and getting to walk the plant and see exactly how it's manufactured, get to look at the paperwork. I've done that in India with a few places. It really does change how you view whether or not you think the medicine is good. It gives you a confidence or it gives you, you know, a desire to use somebody else. Yeah. So Ethiopia, 11 years ago, we took in medicines with us. We got into the country middle of the night. Customs sent us right on through. Clinic opened Monday morning, and the health officials were there to inspect all of our medicines. There was no one at customs, but they wanted to inspect everything. Samples. We had taken samples, punched them all out, put them in a big baggie, stuck a copy of the label in the bag, and he wanted to confiscate that. He said, I said, but they're in date. See the label here? And he said, yeah, that label's in date, but everything else might be expired. So they, but I was able to take and show the list of everything else that we had, the drug, the quantity, expiration date. He saw everything was in date. And so in the end, the official did allow us to keep that. And so that was 11 years ago. Just returned from Ethiopia this past Saturday. We can't even bring medicines into Ethiopia now. We are required to purchase them in country through their national formulary. Yeah. So if you all heard that, Ethiopia won't even let medicines be brought in anymore. You saw the numbers. Most likely you're going to be dealing with counterfeit and substandard. So if you have to go back, you're going to have to try to start developing relationships there, aren't you, so that you know who you're buying from. Because they don't have CVS or Walgreens. You're going to the little local place, and you hope it's good stuff. Yeah, that's frustrating, I know. Yeah. Yes. So I went on multiple mission trips to the Dominican Republic, and I'm actually going there full-time in January to do medical missions. Oh, great. And I know with customs, with our teams bringing in medicines, there's a certain amount of time that you have to send in the paperwork so that you can get the actual paperwork in country with public health certified to bring in the customs. Yeah. But also, even if teams bring in medications, if it's expiring, we are legally, under the medical law, we have to throw those medications away. And to the flip side, if you're going to clinics to evangelize, if you're giving expired medications, that affects your testimony, or you're just giving me junk. Yeah. It's effective, but it's just basically not good testimony. Yeah, you're exactly right. So she was saying she's going to be doing some long-term work in the Dominican Republic. 
And as, she's, as they prepare, and this is the way it is with most countries, when you file with the Ministry of Health going in, you have to file the paperwork a certain amount ahead of time so that they can approve what you're doing. So that goes back, I think I had a slide on there where you include lot number, expiration date, uh, product, quantity, all those different things. Um, it's called a pro forma. Uh, so you want to have that and, and supply them with that. Um, and then she was also saying that, that um, giving expired meds doesn't necessarily give a good testimony. You know, we're going there to, to try to introduce people to the love that Christ has for us, but we want to give them some expired. Well, you know, we, as a healthcare provider, like I said earlier, you know the stuff's good. Okay, so it expired last week. You know, it's still good. And that's what hurts when, when you know you have something that can help and you're not giving it out. And when I was in Haiti, um, I'll tattle on myself a little bit, I... I had some, and I'll tell you this, because countries are educating their people as well on expired meds, not to take expired meds. So we had some uh, children's ibuprofen, you know, little four-ounce bottles of it, and I gave it to a lady. She looked at the label and saw it was expired and said, handed it back. I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, your kid needs this. And um, she said, no, I don't want it. So the next person, I, I took a Sharpie, <laughs> marked it out. They're like, oh, yeah, thank you, you know. Um, the medicine is not going to hurt them. It's good for them. They needed it. But, you know, sometimes you've got to help them help themselves, right? Okay. Anybody else want to share um, kind of what they're – yeah, please. Well, I just had a question. Put back your comment on sample meds. Yeah. Uh, well, your thoughts on that for short-term, specifically ophthalmics, post-surgery, short-term use? You're just going to use a bottle and be done. Yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, what he's asking about is if a medicine is going to be for short-term use, using samples. I think that is probably a different situation. So if it's, uh, let's say you're doing some cataract surgeries and you're going to use it post-op and then they're going to be done with it, yeah, that's probably not a big thing. What you would want to do, though, is kind of look at the environment you're going into um, because I could see a potential problem with resistance um, because now you're introducing a med that they're not going to be seeing otherwise. Um, and if there's any spread or any other problems, so... Chances are probably minimal, but they're there. Um, there is, you know, there's not the risk of um, duplicating with future teams because, you know, it's a one-time thing. Um, yeah, so that, that wouldn't be as bad. I'm thinking more along the lines of, you know, the, the, the new antihypertensives that have two or three different things in them. Uh, and they're the latest and greatest. They're great for here, but you know, those are really hard to duplicate. Yeah. So, so the, the process in Sierra Leone is there's government-approved um, pharmacies. Yes. And do they get a government stock? Is that how they get it so that they know it's a good supply chain? Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, and certainly, you know, we saw the, the one issue with the one government giving to another government um, the, the um, vaccine. So at least there's still some risk, but at least it's controlled. So I think that does improve the confidence there. Um, so that's great. Yes. They would be more reliable, I think, than buying them on the open market because there's at least a process. So if they're getting it through the government, uh, it has to be registered in the country. You would expect that the government would have done some review or research on the credentials of the manufacturer, whether they're um, you know, WHO approved or you know, something to show that there's some good manufacturing practices. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the, the question would be, has that process changed? So if that's something, because I think this slide was from back in maybe 2007 or so when they did that study. So if this is a new process, you know, 2014, maybe they recognize that there's a big problem in that nation and they needed to do something to change it. So if it's a new process, I would say there's a better chance. If, if you found out that that was the process back then, then I would say no. They're still not getting a good supply. Yeah. Yes. Ooh. I think that that drug will be cheaper to buy in the 
most likely it's the same drug. One of the things we've seen here in the U.S. a lot is, um, I don't remember what the term is, but it's an old drug that never went through the full approval process. And so now some company went back out and did uh, a new drug application, and they got the patent on it, and so now the price is huge. Do you remember the name of what that process is called, Jeff? No, okay. Well, it's, it's not an orphan drug, but it's something similar to that. But anyway, it's, it's, it's an old drug. Um, and so what we're seeing is now we have one supplier where it used to be 10 or 20 because it was a generic drug. Now there's one, and so the price is through the roof. Um, Provental inhaler is a good example of that. You know, Provental was around for years, albuterol. Um, many, many companies made it. Uh, it was generic everywhere. Um, but it didn't go through the approval process. And so now... Well, no, I guess that one did, but they changed the carbonated fluorocarbon. So now there's one manufacturer again, hugely expensive, what, 60, 80 bucks to buy, where uh, on the international market, the exact same product is $2. Colchicine. Yeah. Colchicine, yes, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, that's another one. So, yes, it's the same drug. It's just made by a different manufacturer who's not FDA approved. And that's okay. Uh, there's a lot of companies out there that are not FDA approved. And they choose not to be so because the FDA is very rigorous in what they do. It's easier for them to say, okay, I'm going to take, um, you know, what, 90% of the world and I sell to them and I'm not going to sell to the U.S. market so I don't have to do the FDA uh, approval process. But they still have great, um, just like Honduras, they have great um, manufacturing processes. There's good quantity, good quality. Um, they just choose not to be FDA. And so they can sell it. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think, I think that's the key. You, you have to find a reliable source. So you don't have to have a pharmacist to do that. You have to create relationships where you're at. Um, you know, talking to the local people about, okay, where would you get your medicine? Um, there's also international wholesalers that even if you're in, um, you know, there's a couple in Europe um, that even if you're in country, you, if you still buy a large enough quantity, they will ship it to you. You know, there's obviously costs involved with that. Um, there's U.S. Um, missions wholesalers that if everything can be worked out with paperwork and with Someone walking the process through in the country, let's say you're, um, where are you at? Uganda. Uganda. Okay, so in Uganda, you know, they can get it to the country border, but the problem is somebody has to be on the country border inside to get it through customs. So someone who can walk through that paperwork and do all those kind of things, you know, those relationships can be built. Um, but if you just want to deal with in-country people only, I think it's, it'll take time to develop relationships and understand, you know, from not only from who you're buying it from, but from the manufacturer that you're getting from that person. Because, you know, most manufacturers will make many, many products. Um, and so trying to stick with the same people routinely, I think, would help. Would you do, like, a factory inspection, or would you send samples for testing back to the States to see you, you could. I think it's all very expensive. Now, certainly, if you have access to, um, to the manufacturer, you know, I would try to do that. I think it would be, you know, educational. Uh, but it would also help you with a confidence level. Most of the time, though, the, the companies that are selling the meds aren't in that country. Somebody else is importing it, so you don't have access to that. Um, samples here in the U.S. Uh, are very expensive. Um, there's a group that, that um, my company has worked with, somewhere around 1500 to 2300 to do an analysis. So it's very expensive. Uh, outside of the U.S., it's quite a bit cheaper. So in-country, you might be able to find a lab that could do that. But even at 50 bucks, 75 bucks a pop, that gets pretty expensive you know, when you look at the broad range of meds that you're going to have to deal with. So I think it, it's more of developing the relationship and, and you know, being confident in who you're working with over time. You know, and talking to you – know, find a local pharmacist that you trust uh, or a local physician or somebody else local and you know, get them to steer you the right direction too. Any other questions? One more. I think this is the last one and I'm done. Okay. And so the vast majority of mission hospitals in, in Kenya 
other places yeah. that are, are taking that approach to ensure quality medicine. Yeah. So you guys may want to meet up afterwards so he can share with you who that group is. All right. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate everyone coming. Have a great rest of the conference.